Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome to the program. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'd like to introduce my guest tonight, poet Ethan Goffman. Ethan, hello. How are you tonight? Fine. How are you doing? I'm quite well. I'm quite, I am so glad that you're with me. We're going to have a nice time tonight, Ethan, and I'm glad that you're here. Oh, well, I'm, I'm probably more glad that I'm here. <laughs> well, what I'd like to do is to ask you a general question first. You've done so much. Now you're the co-founder of It Takes a Community, an initiative at Montgomery College in Rockville, Maryland, that brings poetry to the students and local residents. Tell me more about that project. Well, the idea, I co-founded it with my wife, Marianne, who you know well. Um, I thought it would be a good thing for her to do. I was interested in it, too, but, um, you know, she's very devoted to poetry, and um, I thought I could help jumpstart her in starting it. Um, All right. I wanted. I also wanted. I, I like the idea of a community-based poetry group because we're teaching the classes at Montgomery County and or Montgomery College. We both teach there, um, and basically, it's a town gown thing. Of course, in a community college, it's a little different, but. The college always says, oh, we want more community events. So I said, why don't we do this as a community event and get all kinds of people, students, but also, you know, aspiring poets, um, maybe some experienced poets, get everyone working together. Um, so that's what we did. And I would say at the beginning, I did more of it and made the phone calls and emails that got it going and then we would brainstorm ideas together but basically Marianne has pretty much mostly taken it over by this point because she's just very excited by it and keeps having new ideas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well let me ask this question so have you found that it's had you've had an opportunity has it been successful oh yeah we get relative but what is well to you? One way of success is numbers, and the numbers have been, it probably started at 15, average attending. Now it's about maybe 25. But more important, we've had people who started who, like, were just not feeling very confident, who have kind of gone on and stretched and grown, and they're writing wonderful poetry. They're able to read it and express themselves in public. Um, I know they go to other poetry group so it's not just us but you know I, I, I give us some credit for really reaching out and yeah. helping some people you know learn about poetry and express themselves and not just write the poet poems but also read them in public which All right. you know it's important it is important uh, now you're yeah. also the founder and producer of the Poetry and Planet podcast on earthtalk.org I'd like to know more about that podcast well, that podcast, that's about a year and a half old. Um, and as you know, but the audience doesn't, I never ever would have done it without you, Michael, because oh. what happened is I, uh, I called in on your show and talked and we had a great time and it went well. It, it really was only a few minutes, but I got inspired and said, I'm going to start a show of my own. Um, so I, I emailed you and I said, oh, I'm going to do a show of my own. It's, it was going to be poetry, politics, and planet, which was like one thing too many, but I wasn't aware yet. But then I, about a day later, I chickened out and I, I was going to back out and you kept inspiring me and saying, oh, no, you have to do it. So that's mm-hmm. how the show got started um do you want me to tell you more because yes i'd like to know more and thank you for the compliment i'd like to know more yes well there was the politics part didn't really work 
I realized later, a little too late because I was starting to contact people for the politics and the three parts were too much. But once I got it down to poetry and planet, you know, environmental and nature poetry, that that really helped. I had done a couple, worked on a couple podcasts with other people that I thought had problems. So I kind of wanted creative control. Mm. So I pretty much do, you know, all the production. I, I thought there, there were production problems in both earlier podcasts I'd worked on. Um, so, you know, I picked the music, I put it all together. I picked the people to interview, et cetera. I, I was really lucky because I wanted to get Joy Harjo um, for the very first one. Yes. And, uh, you know, so she said yes. Oh, wow. I think she says no to most projects. Well, this was a few months before she became Poet Laureate. Listen, if she were already Poet Laureate, there is zero chance I could possibly have gotten her. I mean, she's in so much demand. But um, she said somehow something, she liked something about the project and therefore she was on the very first one and we've combined we've have had some local poets that you know i i have to find people that actually have some kind of nature poetry but i like yes. doing local poets but we've also had poets who are are more nationally known mm-hmm. um and i think they they saw joy harjo and therefore well if joy harjo was on then maybe they should be on too. So, well, I'd like to say congratulations, Ethan, in terms well, of all of you. your work. Mm-hmm. And the very, the very first question that I'll ask you tonight is, what is poetry? You've talk, talked about it peripherally, but what is it? What, what is, is poetry? poetry? Well, yes. first, I'm really not qualified to answer, but I'll give you my answer. Yes, is that poetry. It's just words that are put together in a way that's not prose, which means that either the sound, the meter, the rhyme, um, the way the words go together, or on the page, just the way they're shaped on the page is part of the form. And I hope part of the meaning, because form and meaning should go together. Um, So, yeah, there's something about the sound or the, the way it's on the page. Um, I guess my caveat is poetry is a lot of different things to mm-hmm. different people, but it's also changed because it used to be Homer or the old bards. They were telling a, a great big story, right? And it evolved over the years. So if, if you have like a piece of free verse that's one person doesn't have rhyme or meter and they're contemplating small things, that's a lot different than Homer. And there are a lot of novels that are closer to Homer. So, you know, we like to categorize things. And because of the way it's evolved, we call all these things poetry. Yes. Well, let me ask this question then. Why is it important? Why is it important? Yes. Well, I can answer a little bit that historically, well, storytelling has always been important. And it's important to people's definitions of who they are and how they're going to live life, their identity, meaning, which we're struggling to find meaning in life, even though no one really knows what it all means. Um, so that's stories and words. Um, and then song has been important for ages and ages. Um, you know, this is all stuff that goes back to the human past. Um, so, and again, that's not really saying why, why is song so important, but we know it is. All mm-hmm. humans are locked on it. And I would say that now, you know, poetry has done what, I think it was James Baldwin who said that modern jazz has kind of lost its mass audience by getting rid of uh, a danceable beat. I think poetry went free verse and very personal and sometimes very esoteric. 
So it's kind of gone the way of modern jazz where, you know, there are people who love it and are devoted to it, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have the mass audience, but we've got plenty of popular music of many kinds that fulfill that function for, you know, I don't think anyone, well, there might be someone somewhere, but, you know, everyone loves some kind of song or yes. popular music. So that's that's taken over a lot of the traditional role of poetry. Well, when you think about your work and your podcast, uh, Poetry and Planet, focuses on the environment, what are some of the predominant themes of your work? My work as a poet or the as podcast? A poet, yes. And as your work a as poet. a poet. Mm-hmm. Well, the themes are basically me my internal dialogue about the meaning or meaninglessness of it all. Um, I don't know. I guess death is kind of a big theme, but that kind of goes with a meaning. I, you know, I, uh, I said like, I really don't want to die, but eternal life is, uh, that doesn't make any sense either. And that would be kind of ridiculous. I said that to Marianne and she said she wouldn't mind in, eternal life well i don't like either option but um okay so death is a big death the unknowability the search for meaning um then of course you know that the environment is a big theme and the fact that you know it can be transcendent and take you out of yourself this is also a poetry and planet theme but of course we're destroying it now and therefore we're fouling our own nest and hurting ourselves and forgetting that we're part of nature and bound to nature. So Mm -hmm. I guess that would be another theme. And then I have some personal reflections on like trying, you know, we're all basically naturally selfish short-term beings and we kind of have to struggle to do good and treat other people right. But that that's really what we should do. I have a, Probably not enough of that because mm-hmm. I guess a lot of my poetry is not that uplifting. But basically, you know, despite all the difficulties, try and live life right. And that means treating other people and other beings well. Well, what I'd like to do now, I'd like, please share one of your works. Okay. I have quite a few because you said like 12 to 15. So. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so. <laughs> I didn't want to like run out. Okay, so this is from my book, which I am trying to get people to buy because I can't give live readings. Um, so, from my book, this is the first uh, first poem. Then there's a companion poem, which in the end of the first section. Um, this is not really a representative poem, but it's it's the first one. It's called "Good Morning Sunshine." A snake twists upon the gnarled bark, tying herself in knots. Knot can stop her knotty path. She slithers stealthily, the silence of the snake, the sound of one reptile breathing, quieter than one hand clapping, the sound of silence, a cataclysm carefully calibrated. She stretches toward sun, though it may burn her, the glowing red orb, the circle of sin, the apple of alchemy. The serpent circles herself entwining with a looping, leafy embroidery. She is woman, she is man. She is, briefly, the transcendent being she yearns to be. Eve creeps below, almost a snake herself, slithering, stealthy, low to the ground, ready for the mating ritual, the entwined love that will begin history. Love the snake and all things that creep, crawl, flutter, and fly. The slithering rope that fits so comfortably within Eve's being. This bite of apple, this flight too close to the sun, in 6,000 years or 200,000 will be our doom. Thank you. When did you first start writing? When did I first start writing? Do you mean poetry? 
Yes. I wrote I wrote it as a kid a little bit. My sister wrote poems that she said weren't as good as mine, although they might have been better. I wrote a long kind of melodramatic thing about the history of the universe. So, you know, I was trying to be the grand poet, I guess, and she was more modest and therefore probably more successful, but she didn't realize it. But um yeah, then I just stopped. I you know, you know what, when I began writing poems and getting serious about it, because you were there, but I guess the backstory, it sounds a little too flip if I say I, I was just following my wife to poetry reading, well, workshops. And I started writing just because what else was there to do? And then I started reading and people seemed to enjoy them. But, um, so that is all true, but I actually did read a considerable amount of poetry and study it. Um, you know, I I read some of it in college, and then I worked for a little poetry magazine in New York City. Um, so I, I'm actually probably more familiar with what would be called the traditional greats like, you know, Yeats and Eliot. But then I, I know a lot of moderns and experimental people and, you know, variety, many of whom are not very well known also. But basically, I think having all all that background, you that makes me a better poetry writer, even though in a lot of ways my poems are pretty solipsistic and all about me. I, I still think I am bringing something of that background to them. All right. You know, how does a poem begin for you with the idea, a form, or an image? Um, I actually, generally, I'm pretty much idea-driven. I, I know, like, it's kind of the easy thing to say would be every poem is different, but it's almost always an idea for me. Like, oh, that's a cool idea for a poem. Um, once in a while, an image, like I wrote, you know, you can't always separate them, but basically, if you look at my poems, a lot of them have one kind of big idea, which is often a contradiction, right? Or it seems to start this way, but then it zigs that way. So it's kind of, what if you take these two things and have them clash or something like that? Well, please share another poem. Okay, I'm going to skip and go to the companion poem, to the the one that I just read, because they do kind of work together, maybe. This is at the end of the first section of the book. It's called Even Adam Looked Down from Purgatory. It's a conversation. Adam, did people really go to the moon? Eve, physically they did, but spiritually not. Spiritually, the whole thing was a fake. We remain earthbound souls. Adam, is the earth round or flat? Eve, flat. In eons past, the earth was round, but now it's an interminable gold coin on an obese arthritic elephant's back, jam-packed with angry mobs struggling to push each other off the edge. Adam, is there a god? Eve. The truth is, people have been around for 6,000 years. Or is it 200,000? And we still don't know. One thing's for certain, though, there is a Satan. Adam, isn't that just conjecture? Eve, I've known it to be so ever since I ate the apple. People are unfair to snakes, though. We should love them and treat them kindly. Adam, what will the weather be tomorrow? Eve, cloudy with a chance of death. The end. I can't cloudy. You. Thank you. What? <laughs> cloudy with a chance of death. <laughs> wow. Okay, I had that written down in my notebook before I wrote that poem. And then it kind of worked as the ending to the poem. But you yes, can see from what I just said, it was kind of this idea, right? It began with the idea of... Um, you know, what they're saying from purgatory and, but also 
the idea of people going to the moon um, spiritually. Mm-hmm. And that, that, well, let's take, well, let's go take on. a brief break. We'll take a brief break and we'll come right back, all right? Okay. All right. Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Ethan Goffman. The call-in number is 646-787-1631. Ethan, a question for you. Yes. All great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Well, doesn't that assume that I'm a great writer? (laughs) I'm going to claim and state that you're a great writer. Okay, well, thank you. All right, um, well, I'm going to answer with a non-poet because there's one writer who has influenced me more than all others, and right. that would be Franz Kafka, and especially his short, short stories. So if, if you read some of those, you'll probably notice something in common. I'm, I'm like in his shadow, imitating him. In So... Uh, yeah, that's my biggest influence. And and if you remember, before I ever read a poem at at your readings, well, they were writing and then reading. But mm-hmm. the very first things I ever wrote, read out loud at those were Kafka's short, short stories. All right. So, yeah, and, you know, it's all about the paradoxical and the bizarre, but put in, like, amazingly clever ways. Um, so mm-hmm. Kafka's my biggest influence. Um, and other than that, as far as is there one poet who's the influence on me? Not at all. Um, and I can't really say which poets have influenced me or in what way. I, I could name a bunch of poets that I, I read and, you know, enjoyed and maybe memorized some of their poems years ago. I mean, I would start with like Yeats and T.S. Eliot. There's Whitman, you know, newer poets. Um, there's a whole bunch. There's Marianne Moore. There's Elizabeth Bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, Yusuf Komanyaka. Um, I Lucille Clifton, her poems, I, I think she might, well, she's pretty famous, but I think she might be a little bit underappreciated for just how, well, she's not written a great range, but she's she's a very shrewd and uh, deeply understanding about, I think, the social and the political. So, yeah. And then then there are like local poets that I could name if, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. They might be too embarrassed. So maybe I'll keep quiet about that. All right. All right. You know, as you think about a poem the construction of a poem. What are some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into this whole concoction that we call a poem? What ingredients go into making a poem? Wow. Doesn't that depend on the poet? I mean, it could um, for yourself for yourself for myself. Oh, you know, I, I'm actually like, for me, the poem is kind of a projection of my personality and, like the poetic voice is, is pretty close to me, maybe a little bit elevated. Like, I guess my just conversational speech would not really be that different from a poem. Then I, I like playing around 
probably like just in conversation, I might play around with rhyme a lot more than I do in a lot of my poems. I do some rhyme, but you know, I, I love just rhyming for the sake of rhyming. Actually, I could have been in like rap culture, except I'm too old and out of it. But mm-hmm. um, I I do like rhyme. I all my poems are in free verse because when I'm actually writing, I feel like. Is, in a way, isn't every rhyme a forced rhyme? Um, so, but, uh, you know, I, you can try and break things down. And repetition, that's a big part of poetic form, right? So yes. you can have repetition with a difference. You know, you can have alliteration. Um, a lot of times it's just this line break just seems... Uh, pretty nice, or I've made my main point here, so I'll move on to the next stanza. Um, So form, like I said, I start with the idea, I try and project my voice, and then the form comes. I don't, like, say I'm going to write a sonnet, or... um, Oh, I, for a while, like, in some workshop, they gave me the idea of really strange line breaks so I was purposely playing with those for a little while but not Mm -hmm. really for that long but you know I I maybe should try more forms because they say that that can actually form can actually give you more to say and like maybe I don't have enough structure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe structure because I'm kind of in a slump where I'm not really writing very much poetry. Maybe that Why would give me... Why do you think that is? Um, well, one reason is once I started writing, I went through a period when I was thinking about poetry a lot and thinking about ideas. And, uh, you know, a lot came to me while I was in bed and either asleep or with insomnia. So I would have like whole poems in my mind, I, um, like not quite word for word, but I would know, you know, here's what the poem's going to look like. Here's a major turning point near the end. I would know a lot about that poem, and then I would sit down and write it. But that rarely happens anymore. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's just I had my period where I hadn't been expressing myself my whole life in that way, and once I started boom, stuff was coming, and now that's at least partly played out. Mm. Mm. You know, many poets have different methods for their writing when they are able to write. Some write on paper and then transfer it to the computer. What's your preferred method of writing? Do you write it out first, then transfer it to the computer, or the other way around? Oh, I'm on the computer right from the beginning, unless... I don't have a computer. Well, I write on my PC. Um, It has a nice big keyboard. You know, I could type. I have such messy handwriting, I learned to type really early. So Mm -hmm. I feel more comfortable typing than writing. Um, And plus, it's really easy to revise on a computer. I I adopted that technology really early. Mm -hmm. Um, So it feels more natural to me. I mean, if I'll jot stuff down on paper. Like once I turned off the computer late at night and then suddenly I had an idea and I, oh, I think I had the idea in the middle of the night. Anyway, I wrote it out on an envelope. So, you know, if the computer's not there waiting for me, then I'll handwrite. Mm-hmm. Well, please share another poem. Here comes another poem. Let's see. Um. Oh. Do I want this one? I had them all picked out, but now it's very easy to change your mind. Okay, people like this one. I really only want to please the mob, you know. So, <laughs> this is uh, a <laughs> taxonomy of history. There are three main branches in the study of history. The history of the past, history of what happened, the history of what the hell happened. The last, less respected than the others, It's sometimes known as the history of one damn thing after another. There are three even less reputable branches of history. The history of the future, 
the history of what might have happened, the history of what never happened. Most historians don't recognize these branches. Even some of the more refined poets scorn them. Still they are thunderstorms, pummeling fields of cantankerous, yearning weeds, young weeds that sprout from drenched soil and spew outlaw seeds. So, yeah, you can, well, I don't know. I could talk about the poem, but maybe I'll let it speak for itself. Well, please share a couple of words about the poem. Tell us more. Oh, you want me to talk? Yeah. It has absolutely, well, if you look at the line breaks, then it kind of looks like a poem, but there's nothing poetic about the, you know, it's basically prose until the last um, two lines when it suddenly switches. I hope I got rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know, some kind of meter, but it definitely has rhyme. So that was kind of the big change in the poem, right, is the last two lines. And that those I wrote later, I had it all written, and somehow those two came to me. Um, so, but, but I think that makes the poem is that change at the end. All right, all right. You know, poets are from all over the world. Where do you hail from? Oh, I do not really hail from all over the world. I hail from Indiana, which is not not one of the more, well, okay, it's my home state. Maybe I should just keep quiet about it. It was was a very very good state to leave, and I should have left it much earlier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Share another poem. Share another poem. Yeah, isn't this a call-in show? I'm not hearing a lot of people calling in. <laughs> well, no one has called in yet. So we'll keep okay. I hope I hope somebody's listening. All right. They're listening. They're listening. <laughs> okay. Oh. All right. I'll do one more that's supposed to be amusing. Then maybe I'll do a serious one. I, All right. Not that many are that serious. but Okay. This is called uh, When My Wife Gave Birth. When my wife gave birth, she gave birth to cats, a feisty calico and a tabby who purred so loud, it about shook the world. I said, isn't something the matter? Don't most women give birth to human babies and not cats? She threw me a look, half glance, half glare, as if to say, what more did you expect? You who could never give birth to anything. In all likelihood, my wife and I will survive our children, leaving us lonely and alone to live out our days. Mm. (laughs) And I will say, yeah, I I say it's amusing, but obviously there's another side to it. I don't, you know. Well, I guess you well, could you, have a poem. Oh, well, go on. No, I was going to say that they say <laughs> that yeah. to see the world with complete honesty, uh-huh. one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What now, emerges to me, natural? Yes, there's some humor that emerges from your work. What else may emerge from your work? Well, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh... Actually, okay, I was going to say that poem has a lot of self-pity. Yeah, it's not. Mm. Well, humor, uh, I don't, humor uh, does not. Well, what you just said, you know, humor is not just funny. If it's not about serious topics, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's light humor, but, but, but I, you know, it's, it emerges from anger and suffering and, um, you know, the contradictory and often wretched nature of the world. And it's kind of a way of coping, I think. Okay. Okay. I understand. I understand. Share another poem. Share another poem. Yes. Um, okay. I said I would do a more, this one will not leave you. Oh, maybe it will. Well, let me just read it. Okay. Um, 
this house we built, this house we built, a man, a woman, and two cats, family, just as God intended. This house that built us, foundation miles thick, picture window streaming with life, yellow shingles and orange fence blazing with light. This house the contractors built for cash, although with a certain pride, perhaps even love, that they were making something lasting to bind the universe in its small way. Is it love that builds things, or is it cement, nails, wood, and plaster? Or is it money, this house we had built, or that always existed, surrounded by birdsong and the trees we planted, by scampering squirrels, by rabbits feasting on the tall fescue. This house made of commerce, made of love. This house we built, a man, a woman, and two cats, the perfect family, just as God intended. So unlike two men and a baby, a man, a woman, two dogs, and a gerbil, a woman, a child, a goldfish, abominations all, unless they are built with love and kindness. The end. Mm. You use the word love. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? No, I mean I guess you can program a computer to write poetry. I mean you can. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know that's tricky because I guess they program computers to write in the style of Beethoven, and it can fool people. Mm. That that is tricky because. Look, poems are nothing without emotion. All right. But I think maybe you can mimic emotion just because you know how. I don't know. I I couldn't write a poem without emotion, and I I don't think, you know, actual poets actually working, I think it always comes from emotion. Theoretically, maybe you could learn the craft and totally mimic emotion without actually feeling it. All right. Share another poem, Ethan. Okay, do you want... Well, hold on. Okay, I'm skipping yet another cat poem. I heard that I'd have too many cat poems. Um, <laughs> oh, here's an animal one. You know, I have a... We are going to run out of time, and I have more poems than I can read, so I have these two... These are not from the book. These I wrote after the book. But um, they're twin poems, so I'm kind of going to have to read them together. All right. Um, and I'm going to have to kind of change the title, because the title is Do Not Read This Poem, Read the One Below. So for the, this show, it has to be Do Not Listen to This Poem, Listen to the Next One. This poem is pathetic. It has nothing to say, and it says it badly. This poem has no rhythm, no rhyme, no resonance, no romance, no reason. However you spend your day, do not read this poem. Instead, read the poem below. Its profound wisdom will enlighten you. The poem below will act as your Zen master, guiding you on a marvelous journey, on a craggy path through the mist, to the sun-drenched peak above. Read the poem below and you are 110% fully, completely, and utterly guaranteed to find your bliss, fulfill your destiny, transcend time and space, attain nirvana. The end, but not really, because then we have the next. Don't even glance at this poem or don't even think to listen to this poem for an instant. Listen only to the previous. You are a fool to listen to these words said by a suffering man with a migraine headache, a tortured childhood, and no sense of former beauty. I warn you, do not listen to this poem. It is a profound waste of time. Precious seconds you will never recover in the brief candle 
that is your life. Instead, listen to the previous poem, destined to stand as the most profound work of artistic perfection in the English or any language. Indeed, the most profound work, visual, sculptural, musical, culinary, olfactory, in the whole entire history of artistic endeavor in the known and unknown universe. Eat, drink, observe, touch, taste, hear the divine words of the previous poem. Feel the sublime experience radiate in every micrometer of your being, from the tips of your ears to the hangnails on your pinky toes, satisfying your body, satiating your soul. Lick the previous poem. Rub your fingers lovingly over each profound word. Feel the texture enhanced by immortal words. Print it out and bring it with you into your daily shower. Use it to gently scrub your body every cranny, every pore, every nanometer of your tender flesh, each iota of your immortal soul. The end. That was great, Ethan. Thank you. Now, do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Well, things happen that way. Does that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, on that, the answer to that could change depending when you ask me, because sometimes I feel everything is faded and sometimes I feel nothing is faded. So I really don't know. The answer is I don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, as you think about being a poet and you think about some of the predominant things that you talked about earlier in your work in terms of death and meaningless um, the environment, personal reflections. All poets have several words that come up over and over and over again. Words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Well, three words. Well, you know, death is is one. And, you know, I haven't even experienced much death. Well, okay. more as you get older. But, yes. So I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it, except that we do all end at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I feel I haven't really grappled with it very well. Um, And yet somehow it comes up in the poems. And, you know, Emily Dickinson had lots of death. Well, she actually experienced death. But I don't know, maybe it's just a pose for me. I don't know. So then cats, basically, because, well, we had two cats. We're down to one. I love our cats. So Okay. I mean, I could talk about why, but um, so death cats, um, that's only two. There's supposed to be a third word, huh? Yes. Um, oh, let me look through my titles real quick. To see. Okay. Um, maybe riddle or paradox. Love does come up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe there's a positive side. To me. Oh, I believe so. Animals, you know, I'm very interested in animals. I saw two, uh, um, not opossums. What are those other animals? Raccoons the other day. They're, they're around everywhere. Okay. They're kind of trying to fuel my creative unconscious, I think, but I'm not listening to them enough. But boy, I love okay. even like. I know we see deer or rabbits, like they're all over the friggin' place, but I still am just delighted every time. Even a squirrel, I know there's a lot of them. So, yeah, that's all just fantastic, all that life all around us. All right, all right. It's very nice, very nice. Uh You know, as you think about your poems and the title of your poem, the titles of your poems, what is important to consider when you're titling a poem? Well, you want to do two things. You want to interest the reader, mm-hmm. um, and you want to say something about what's in the poem. You know, it's the same thing as, like, the title of a newspaper article, like if you ever – or a magazine article. It, it's pretty much get someone interested and give them an idea of what might the content might be. 
have people answered that differently in no, on other no, shows? No. no, pretty much the same answer. That you want people okay. to become interested in the poem itself. Uh-huh. But you also want to, in essence, tell a story yeah. about the poem through okay. this title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Let's take a brief break, Ethan, and we'll be right back. Okay. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Ethan Goffman, my friend Ethan Goffman. Ethan, question for you. Yes? What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern day society? So much is happening in the world today. What's the role of a poet? The role of a poet. You know, I wish poets... I'm, I'm more for the engaged and active poet rather than the ivory tower or the I mean, Emily Dickinson sitting in her home did fabulous things, right? Yes. And, you know, political poetry, it risks being hack poetry. There's plenty of bad political poems, but I guess there's plenty of bad love poems, right? So, mm-hmm. and also, you know, it doesn't need to be. It can be political without being blatantly political. It can have like implications. But yeah, I think poets should be engaged with society. And actually, we're we might very well be entering into end times. So, you know, you, you don't want to say, "Oh, I sat out and just wrote poetry," which is kind of one of my. I feel I should be doing more, and yet mm-hmm. I don't even know what to do. And there are all these events out of control. So role of poet, um, you know, be engaged. You could be just locally engaged mm-hmm. or you could be engaged in the big issues of the day. Well, you know, some writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write mm-hmm. primarily to speak a message to their audience while others write because to stay silent is not an option. So maybe this is pretty much on the same page. Why do you write? Why do I write? Yeah. Well, it's kind of what I, you know, I want to project my personality and I do have things to say. I have some political type poems too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I sometimes I'm a little embarrassed about reading them, but yeah. Um, I do have some kind of message. It's, it's basically, you know, I do think I can entertain people and I like to entertain people, but then I also do want to get a serious message across while I'm doing it. Mm. Well, please share another piece of your work. Okay. I'll do the one I, when I called in a couple of weeks ago, you like this. Okay. So, um, I'll, yeah. So here's a political one. I'm hearing that the Trump administration is delaying putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. As Martin Luther King Jr. put it, sometimes wait means never. What do they fear? That Harriet will bleed monthly over all these, those fresh green bills, a bloody stain on our history? To some, women are dirtier than money, dirtier than ripping, a bawling child, from its terrified parents. The end. Mm. The following is a subjective question. What makes a poem good? Um, if I like it, it's good. All right. That's a subjective answer. Um, <laughs> okay, a more serious answer. 
it reveals something that it takes something you already at least have an idea about regarding life or meaning or experience or emotion and it kind of adds a surprising twist to it or just makes you look at it in a new and different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be nice. I guess there are like at least books that turn people's lives around, right? Like yeah. even talking about all the Black Lives Matter protests, like there are people, something changed their minds. Now, I'm not sure that this sudden change in consciousness, I hope it lasts, um, but at least some people were awakened and their minds, something happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a smaller number than we think, but um, it would be nice if you could do that with poems. I don't know. Uh, what do you mean? Go Tell on. Me more. Tell me more. What do you mean that you could do that with poems? Like if you can just make someone see something in a new way that they just okay. hadn't. Okay. And you don't think that happens? No, I think it happens. It definitely happens with books. Does it happen mm-hmm. with a poem? Um, I hope so. I hope sometimes someone reads the poem and says, oh, I hadn't really realized that and just something totally new is opened in someone's mind and they think about life in a different way. Mm. Well, I must say you opened my mind with the Harriet Tubman poem. I hadn't thought about Harriet Tubman in that way before. Uh, so well, that's, that's, yeah, that's more about whether to put her on the, is it the $5 the or the, the 20 Yeah. And the, the 20, debate yeah. over that. Mm-hmm. Debate over that. Mm-hmm. So it's not that poem has nothing to say about the actual Harriet Tubman, but about her as a political symbol, and especially her race and her gender. Mm-hmm. But it opened my mind nonetheless. Okay, but it didn't like radically make you see the world in a new way. But no, see, I, did not. I think some <laughs> books can do that. Okay. I understand. I understand. Maybe we're too old. We're not going to be that radically be changed. <laughs> that could be the case, my friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of books, your first volume of poetry, Words for Things Left Unsaid, was published in 2020 or 2019? 2020. Tell us more right, about it. Right when the coronavirus hits. Well, I can't go, okay, I really like I like reading in public. People react well to my poems when they're read. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really wanted to go on a tour and like read it in many different venues, which first of all, it was a lot harder. Like venues, there's a lot of poets out there. We all are trying to get gigs. So it was harder to tie down venues. But in any case, then uh, coronavirus hit. So no one's going anywhere. So I have mm-hmm. been reading it on different Zoom sessions, but yeah, I, I wanted to read it live, um, so and often. So what? Now I forgot the question. What is your book about? What's my book about? Yeah. Um, well, it's about, um. You know, the crazy circumstances that we're in these days. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's kind of it. And also, you know, about history and paradox. All I don't right. know. It's not really that cohesive when it comes down to it. I have it divided into sections. It seems. Okay. To... What are some of the sections? Okay, so the sections are, the first one is a brief slog through history. I guess it's about history intersecting with my own personal life. All right. As as we seem to be heading toward an apocalyptic end. And that was before, you know, coronavirus, that's kind of bad, but we had many, many problems before, and maybe coronavirus has just revealed how bad some of them are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the first, it's a brief slog through history. Second section is out of touch in Trump's America. Then I am an embarrassment to myself. So that's personal, right? Paradoxes and mind benders. All you need is love with a question mark. The riddle of existence. The book of Thelma. That's all about cats. Inheritance loss. And then this crazy, wonderful dying planet. So I'm looking at the whole planet, but also at nature. But actually, a lot of those poems are also about our yard. Okay. Well, if you were required or asked to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? Uh-huh. Um, I'd say I, I think you'd enjoy it. And <laughs> just read a few poems and see if you like them. And if not, then you wasted $18.50. But <laughs> if you see me live, you only wasted $15. <laughs> and, and, and you also get a free signature. So, okay. <laughs> I well, mean, I, you, I hope people actually enjoy them. All right, all right. Well, you mentioned the the importance of of sharing your work, of uh-huh. being able to share your work. So, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? I try and make them as close as similar, but obviously, when I'm speaking, I can emphasize. I don't, you know, I don't want to like stumble. I don't want the way I read it to be a hindrance, which it could be if I want to try and enhance what's already there when I read. Okay. All right. All right. But it's already there. It's the same voice. It's yeah. Everything I write is pretty much my personal voice, I think. Mm -hmm. We're sharing a piece of your work. I don't try and take on another persona. Um, okay, let's see. I have a few I could choose from. Um, let me do. Okay, I'll read this. We don't. We're, we're going to run out of time. I see the clock really ticking down. Um, We've got time for a couple more poems. We've got time. Okay, I'm going to read. Um, I'll read this. I've been writing little prose pieces. I'll mm-hmm. read one of those. I have a whole bunch. I'm trying to come up with a whole book of little prose pieces. Um, the, yeah, I, again, very loosely based on Kafka's short, short stories, but more about, you know, more appropriate to the year 2020. Okay, so this one's called Cattle Farm. Somehow I had had inherited a cattle farm in West Virginia. I found a piece I'd never known herding the great creatures so large and stoic and stupid and profound and sweet among the sharp green fields and hills beneath a bright blue sky. They made soft thrumming noises as if speaking to me or to the universe. Perhaps the universe answers them. It never answers me, but I am too neurotic and self-aware so the universe is smart to ignore me. I got to know individual cows. Elsa was my favorite, mainly snow white with patches of brown, soft fur. She would rub her rough, soft tongue against my hand. It seemed to be love. These massive beasts that could have, been easy, could have easily trampled me were gentle as lambs. Soon I will have to send some off to be slaughtered. I might become vegetarian. The bloodiness of meat has become disgusting. Still, I need to sell these cows. That's the way the economics of a farm works. You always hurt the ones you love. Oh, okay, so that's prose. Mm. That's a little different. Oh, beautiful. Oh, you liked it. Oh, thank you. Really, really did like that. We're about to end. We've got time for one more. One more point. Oh, oh. Is it over? No, we've got time for one more poem. Okay, I'm confused. Mine, I had a ticker that just ran out. That's but okay. Now, okay, well, all right. Let me go back to the book then and mm-hmm. do something that's more poetic. Um, I have a bunch marked, but now I don't. 
Well, let's see. Do we have time for a long poem or a short poem? Let's go with a long poem. I think that would be a nice way to close. Okay. This is called Animals Are Our Friends. A deer stood by the side of the road and gazed at me with querying eyes. Deer no longer bolt at the sight of humans. Although we are alien species, we are kin. Deer are taking over the suburbs as peace-loving neighbors who only want to eat our yards, our tomatoes and squash, an occasional flower. A squirrel scampers, visible for an instant. Some force animated it, gave it life. The same force that animates me and my loved ones and my enemies. The fat brown rabbit that inhabited our yard has disappeared. So has the earlier occupant, a fierce hunter who kept the birds as sparse as the hairs on my aging head. Layers and currents of history reside in our yard, an ocean of life swelling with music. It is not whales singing, but their distant cousins, sparrows, robins, crows, the usual suspects, a cardinal redder than blood, a jay blue as the sky, who pops by as an occasional surprise like a friend one hasn't seen in ages. This is our home, all our homes. It resides in our bones and we in its soil and primordial rocks. Yet we are also visitors, migrants, who will one day be swept aside in this small house overgrown with weeds. Thank you. Wow. It's kind of hard to believe that we've come to the end of the program, Ethan. It went by yeah. relatively quickly. <laughs> it went by quickly. Considering that no one, no one called in. That's okay. <laughs> we had. Oh, I thought it. I thought it ended at nine. No. Well, it ends at nine, but I still have extra time that I can use. So we're okay. Okay. We're okay. All right. Well, let me ask so we're one last question. One last question of you. When sure. people hear your work, and I'm one of these people, uh-huh. they usually want more. What's next for you as a poet? As a poet? Well, you know, I, t- I talked about this book of prose. I read one of those pieces, right? Yes. I have probably about 40 pages of those right now. Oh, wow. Well, but some are better than others. Um, it needs a lot of rewriting. And even then, it's. I had this idea it would be this grand unified whole, but it's basically going to be a bunch of prose poems. Well, either prose poems or short, short stories, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's not really going to be like one cohesive piece with a narrative arc because it's just, I don't know. It's difficult to do that. It wasn't written that way. It was written mm-hmm. as a hodgepodge. It's going to stay a hodgepodge. Um, then I I have some other poems. I have enough that I could do. Well, you heard the two new ones, which are, pro, you know, I always have some good ones and some not so good. So, yeah, the two new ones that I read Mm-hmm. Um, I have enough for a chat book. Actually, I have a long poem about the goddess Callie, too, which was too long, so I didn't really think about reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I read it over, and I always think, well, it, could it be better? Um, but I have enough I could do a chat book. And then, you know, I write nonfiction, too. And... <laughs> We're in rough economic circumstances, so I don't know. I don't really have the gigs writing nonfiction either. Right. So we'll see whether I have a renaissance in writing or whether it kind of just dwindles away. Mm. Well, I hope that it doesn't dwindle away. Well, I would also like for it not to dwindle. Yes, you're very talented. And I remember the early days when when we first met. Just uh-huh. in terms of the whole thing around poetry and how far we've both come over the course of the year. Well, so I'm true. very proud of you. Very, very proud of you, Ethan. Well, 
Thank you. Well, of course, you do amazing things for the poetry community and the arts community. Well, I appreciate that, my friend. Sure. Well, on that note, I think uh-huh. I'll say good night to you and to everyone else. Okay. Well, thanks so much. This was a great experience. And you'll be back. I'd like you to come back and share more of your work. I will do it at some point. Marianne, oh. her book is coming out. So, Wow. Well, maybe I can have an evening with the both of you all. That would be nice. Well, that could be interesting. Yeah. I stole really an idea nice. from her. Mm-hmm. I stole the idea of the book of Thelma and put it as a title of one of the sections of my book, even though it was her idea. But we were talking about writing a book together. We tried writing a poem together, and it wasn't that good. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it would be fun to read poems side by side with her at some point. Yeah, that, let's, let's work on that, all right? Okay. All right, then. Well, thank you, Ethan. Have a wonderful Thanks evening. Thank you very much. Yeah, you also. All right. Okay, thank you. Good night, everyone. We'll see you next week. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.